verses 1 to 11, I believe earlier this year sometime, about mid, around May or so. And so if you're interested, you can go back there and, and look at that and just uh, for some context. But uh, as we begin, I, uh, as a pastor, I, I get to uh, visit with people. And um, this past week, I had the privilege of sharing with someone from this chapter, 1 Corinthians 15. Verses 53 to 57, uh, some of those verses I had actually shared with you in last week's sermon. I'd like to read for you what I shared. This is what the Word of God says. For this perishable must put on the imperishable. This mortal must put on immortality. But when this perishable will have put on the imperishable, and this mortal will have put on immortality, then will come about the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. See, all of us dwell in perishable bodies. All of us live mortal lives. And death awaits us all. The Bible says it is appointed for man once to die. And then comes judgment. But for the Christian, death, our physical death, is not the end. But rather, as we read in, in this, this uh, passage, in which I shared with the individual that I visit with, death is the beginning and the entrance into our victory. As believers in Christ, we are, are destined to put on imperishable bodies. We are destined to put on and live immortal lives. For the Christian who believes in Jesus Christ, death is swallowed up in victory for us. In the moment of, of death where we seem to be overwhelmed by the floods of, of fear, of, of nothingness, of eternity, of potential judgment and wrath of God, it is swallowed up in victory because of Jesus Christ. Death is not the end for the believer. Death cannot harm the, the one who follows Jesus Christ. Rather, death, the end of this physical life, is in fact necessary before we can actually put on immortality, before we can put on the imperishable. And for the believer in Jesus Christ, death really has lost its sting, as the passage tells us. It's lost its sting with a sting. And sin is the sting of death. Sin is that, that stinger that all of us face. All of us have been stung. If you may never have been stung by a bee, but all of us have been stung by sin. And the sting of sin is death for all of us. All of us will die. All of us, these bodies are under the curse. And then on top of that, there is not only physical death, but all of us are, are apart from Christ, are condemned, deserving of, of eternal death, eternal punishment. But because of Jesus Christ and what he has done, as we sung this morning, we have victory over death through the Lord Jesus. And his death and resurrection have paved the way for our forgiveness of sins and victory over death. And it's my, it is my joy and my privilege to 
speak of to you of the hope of the resurrection this morning. The resurrection, the victory over death is not pie in the sky theology. It is a theology that is relevant so much in our lives. For all of us, we will face death one day, not just in our our own personal death, but we will, as we grow older, see the death of those we love, death of our grandparents, of our parents. There are times when we see the death of our children, the death of our fellow saints in the church. But for the believer in Jesus Christ, death is swallowed up in victory. And this is so relevant at those moments. And it's relevant in all our lives because this doctrine, this is an essential part of the gospel which we proclaim. We live in a world of death and disease <laughs> and dying. And if you, as you live in this world, ever wrestle with death, you wrestle with either the fear of death or you're facing death right now, this message, as I hope, will be a message of encouragement for you. And our hope and our, our victory over death is because of Christ's death and resurrection, which is the theme of this morning's message. The letter of 1 Corinthians that we're going to look at this morning, in 1 Corinthians 15, really, it addresses a lot of different issues. But in 1 Corinthians 15, it's this beautiful chapter. All, it's the whole chapter is all about the resurrection. It's all about how the, uh, Christ has been risen from the grave. The, the chapter begins really with, in verse 1 to 11 about Paul recapping for the Corinthians what is the gospel that he proclaimed to them. That The gospel is really simple. It's a, it's a twofold gospel. It's, it's the proclamation of Christ's death according to the scriptures. And it was testified to, witnessed of, by the fact that he was buried in a tomb. And the second aspect of the gospel is that Christ rose on the third day. He rose from the grave according to the scriptures. And it was witnessed and testified to by his appearance to all these people that we saw, these 500 plus people. And this is the message that Paul preached, and this is the message of the gospel that we preach today. But Paul now, in addressing the, one of the concerns of the Corinthians, is that for some of them, they had somehow come to the place where they doubted the resurrection. They did not believe that there was a resurrection, in fact. And so Paul addresses this situation for them by taking, as, as a means of argument, the possibility that what if Christ has not been risen? What, what if Christ has not been risen? What would that mean? What would it, how would it affect our lives? You know, for many people in the world, if Christ is not risen, it, well, that means nothing to them. I'm like, oh, I just go live on my life. I, I still got my job. I still got my family. I'm just, you know, I'm happy-go-lucky. It's all good. But if Christ is not risen, then we are all hopeless in the face of death. And life is meaningless apart from Christ. So this passage, remind, uh, Paul then encourages that the resurrection, in fact, is necessary for our faith, is necessary for our lives. And in fact, it's, uh, it is, it's, we thank God for the, the truth of the resurrection as, re as revealed in the scriptures. But, and so as, he, as we walk with Paul through this passage and we look through the, the ramifications of, the of, that, 
of the scenario where if, what if Christ is not risen? We see six ramifications if Christ has not been raised that teach us of our necessity for Christ's resurrection. We're not going to, uh, uh, in a sense, uh, it's not an Easter message, so I'm not going to maybe do any apologetics of, of why the resurrection is true. The resurrection is true because the Bible says so. And there's many witnesses in the Bible that reflect it. And it's, uh, and it's from a historical standpoint, it's also tested, et cetera, all that, et cetera. But I want to take a, a look at the ramifications of the fact if Christ has not been raised and what that would mean and why it makes res- the resurrection of Christ necessary for us. And so we come to arrive at 1 Corinthians 15, verse 12 to 19, and we read this in our text, and I'll go ahead and read the whole passage, and then we'll walk through it. He writes, uh, Paul writes, Now if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is vain. Your faith also is vain. Moreover, we are even, fa- even found to be false witnesses of God because we testified against God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied, to be pitied. And so we see this passage that introduces us to this uh, uh, introduces the passage, 12 and 13 kind of introduce. He says, you know what, if, if Christ is preached, you know, that he's been raised, and then how is it that you guys are now saying that Christ is not risen, as if it's not an important doctrine? And there are some liberal churches out there that, you know, will preach about Christ, but, you know, for them it doesn't matter if Christ is actually risen or not. Uh, Christ is just a moral figure. Christ is just a philosopher. Christ is just, you know, an example for us to follow. And he is all those, but he is much more. For Christ is risen, supernaturally risen, but essentially for us, for our lives, he's risen from the dead. And Paul says, if there is no resurrection of the dead, if you don't believe that the people are raised from the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then essentially Christ is dead. Christ is dead. He's, there's no doubt that he was a historical figure. He did die on the cross. Everybody saw it. He was, he was, uh, uh, and he was buried in a tomb. And so he, Paul then takes up this possibility that Christ has not been raised. And he, from verse 14 and on, and he look at these six ramifications. I'm, I'm going to give you, or we're going to walk through these six ramifications for us if Christ has not been raised. Number one, if Christ has not been raised, Paul writes that Paul's ministry is vain. Paul's ministry is vain. The word vain means simply empty, empty. I think when we think of this word, it, it reminds us of uh, Ecclesiastes. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. It's, it's that life is empty. Life is meaningless, kind of. And so this idea of Paul's ministry is, is empty in the sense that it has no meaning. If Christ is, has not been raised, then he, Paul says our preaching, our proclamation of the gospel, basically, is, is meaningless. It's really, it's vain. It's empty. From the moment that Paul was saved, he began preaching that Jesus is the Son of God. That's what Paul did. We see this in Acts chapter 9, verse 20, uh, 22. And immediately, Paul began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. 
And all those hearing him continued to be amazed and were saying, Is this not he who in Jerusalem destroyed those who called on this name and who had come here for the purpose of bringing them bound before the chief priests? But Saul kept increasing in strength and confounding the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that this Jesus is the Christ. Paul had that 180 turnaround when he met the Lord on the road to Damascus. And when Ananias visited him, all of a sudden those scales came down from his eyes. And not only physically, literally, but figuratively, spiritually, his eyes were open to the truth. And the one and the Christ whom he was persecuting was now Christ whom he was proclaiming. And he was proclaiming Christ to be the Son of God, Jesus to be the Son of God, Jesus to be the Christ, the Messiah, the, the King, the one who was promised the fulfillment of all the Old Testament promises. That was who uh, Paul proclaimed. And if, but if Christ somehow, he says, if Christ somehow is not risen, then his preaching that Jesus is the Christ and Jesus is the Son of God, it's, it's really not, it's, it's empty because If Christ is dead, if Jesus is dead and he's still in the tomb, then he could not be the Son of God. He did not have the power of God to raise a life. He who says, I am the resurrection, the life, was really not. His empty words, all of Paul, and and on top of that, not only is his preaching uh, really vain, but his whole ministry is vain. All his suffering for the gospel, all the times that he was stoned, that he was shipwrecked, they went hungry, they went thirsty, all the times that he was chased out of cities, it was hard, it's really empty. He was just a fool for Christ to do and go around and proclaim this message when the fact is the one he's proclaiming is is dead still. He's not even what he says he is. And what's more, of course, brothers and sisters, it's not just Paul's ministry that's vain, but it's our ministry. If Christ has not been risen, our ministry is vain. You know, here we are, have the, we have the cross. You know, we preach that Christ died for our sins, right? And, and, that, and, we, and we believe this because that's what Scripture teaches us. But we also, but you notice the cross is, is empty. It's not like the Roman Catholic Church. How can we don't put Jesus' body up there? Because we believe that Jesus is risen from the dead. We don't leave his body there because we believe that Jesus is bodily risen from the grave. That's why you will not find a body on the cross in most Protestant churches. People might, they might not know that anymore, but that is the why. Because Christ is risen, that's what we proclaim. But if he's not risen from the dead, oh man, oh, that, this is the heart of the gospel. We're just, it's just empty. It's just empty deeds. Let's just all go home and catch the you know, football game. Let's all go home and eat leftover, you know, uh, leftover whatever you had, prime rib or turkey or ham. Let's just, oh, let's just go live our lives our own way. This, it, Paul says very clearly, if Christ is not raised, our ministry is vain. Paul's ministry is vain. But that's a big if, if Christ has not been raised. Furthermore, secondly, closely related to this, Paul writes, if Christ has not been raised, secondly, your faith is vain. He's writing to the Corinthians and says, your faith is vain because I preached to you a message and, and you believe this message. The Corinthians had believed Paul's preaching when he, when he preached there. He had preached to them in Acts chapter 18, that's when he visited them, that Jesus was the Christ, that Jesus was the, the messianic king, the messiah son of David, that Christ was the, was the one who was the fulfillment really of, of, uh, of the promise of the Davidic covenant. But if Christ is not raised, if he's still dead, then really how can he be the, how can he be the fulfillment of, of the blessings that were promised to David? How can he rule the kingdom when he's dead? How can he be ru- the, the ruler of an eternal kingdom when he is dead? 
How can he save anyone if he is dead? He says, your faith is empty if Christ is not risen. Christ, but the truth is that Christ was risen so our faith would not be in vain. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 20, 21 revealed this. For he, that is Christ, was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but has appeared in these last times for the sake of you. The eternal Son of God, the eternal Word of God, was made, appeared in these last times for the sake of you and me, who through him are believers in God, who raised him. So God raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. God raised him from the dead so that you and I would have faith and hope in God. And if God had not raised him from the dead, then we do not have faith and we do not have hope in God. Our faith is empty. Our faith is it's vain. Thirdly, and continue this, this, really, this, uh, this, uh, really the same thought here. If Christ has not been raised, Paul says in verse 15 that we, he's talking to himself and his fellow preachers, we are false witnesses of God. We're false witnesses of God. To say, in fact, that God had raised Christ when he did not would be a lie. In fact, it would be a form of blasphemy. To say I'll attribute to God something that is not true of God is blasphemy. It is a lie. And what's more, to, to, be, to, to say a lie about God is to bear false witness of God. And this is, a, this is one of the Ten Commandments, right? To, thou shalt not bear false witness. Here, these, Paul had been going around along with his missionary associates, telling the world, proclaiming about Jesus, telling, speaking the truths of God, saying, this Jesus died for our sins and this Jesus rose from the grave. But essentially, he was lying every, every single time. What would you think about me if I would say, oh, you know, hey, what? You know what? Hey, after this service, this year, I'm going to buy you all barbecue dinner. And then next week, I come, hey, and next week, you know what? I'm going to buy you barbecue dinner. And then the year after that, I'm going to say, hey, remember, guys, I'm, come on my house, all of you, all 200 of you, I'm going to give you barbecue dinner. And I, that was always my message. And you hear that? I say that every time we talk, I say, hey, don't forget, one day, I'm going to get you that barbecue dinner. But if I never give you that barbecue dinner, well, you say, well, you know, say I die, and then you know I can't give you the barbecue dinner. You said that guy was a liar. He always talked about barbecue dinner, but he, he never gave us barbecue dinner. But for the apostles, Paul, they, they preached always. You know what they would always talk about? They preached Jesus, of course. But what was it that they preached about Jesus? That he died and that he rose from the grave. This was the consistent message of the apostles. They repeated it all the time. Look, just uh, walk with me, if you will. I want to walk with you just kind of quickly through the, the book of Acts and the early church and what they proclaimed about Jesus. Just quickly walk through uh, Acts chapter 2, 24, Peter preaching to, in Jerusalem. But God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death since it was impossible for him to be held in his power. Acts 3, 15, uh, Peter preaching uh, once more in Jerusalem. But, he, but we but put to death the prince of life. That's what we put to death. You put to death the prince of life. The one whom God raised from the dead. Uh, Acts chapter 4, verse 10. This is, uh, again, Peter preaching in Jerusalem. Let it be known to you, all of you, and to all the people of Jerusalem, by the name of Jesus Christ and Nazarene, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead. By this name, this man stands here before you in good health. In Acts 5.30, the God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you had put to death by hanging him on a cross. That's Peter's again. And then uh, Acts chapter 10, verse 40. Uh, Peter, to, now not just to, uh, to Jewish people, but now to uh, a Gentile. Uh, so, uh, 
the, the Roman centurion. He says, God, preaching about Jesus, God raised him up on the third day and granted him that he become visible. And then uh, Acts chapter 13, verse 30, Paul, Paul now preaching uh, the, the message of the gospel in uh, Pisidian Antioch. He says, but God raised him from the dead. And then lastly, Acts 17, 31, when Paul preaching on uh, Mars Hill uh, in Athens, because he preached, because he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he has appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. See, the, the consistent message of the apostles was that Christ died and Christ rose from the dead. You, you can't get around it. Um, that, that, was their, that was their message. That was their consistent theme of their pride. They were, they were good at it. But if Christ had not been raised, then the apostles were all liars and they were all false witnesses of God. They were to be, and they were to be soundly rejected and condemned for falsely proclaiming things about God. That's, that's the essential, that's, that's what uh, would be the ramifications if Christ had not been risen. There's a fourth, uh, we continue on, fourth uh, ramification, if Christ has not been raised. In verse 17, verse 17, if Christ has not been raised, then he's, Paul writes, your faith is worthless. Your faith is worthless. Now, this uh, sounds similar to uh, earlier when, it says, when he said your faith is vain. It sounds similar. It's, in fact, uh, the words that are used here are two different words, and they both have this idea of empty. They can both carry the idea of empty. So it is similar, a similar meaning, similar words. But it, it, it's emphasized a little different point here. Whereas in verse 14, vain means empty, uh, empty, kind of like without, without basis, without truth, uh, without, uh, you know, any substance to it. Here, verse 17 means empty, that is empty of any, of any power, empty of any results. It is basically, you know, as the word in translating English is a good translation, it's, it's of no value, it's worthless, it's worthless. It, it can't, you can't buy anything with it. It's, it's like a, um, you know, I don't know, even a penny is worth something. But uh, a piece of paper, you know, and to say uh, it's not worth anything. It's of no value. In Romans 4.25, Paul would write this, uh, these words. Uh, Paul writing about Jesus, and, and he who was delivered over because of our transgressions and was raised because of our justification. This, in this passage in Romans, Paul describes how Christ's death was basically the payment for our sins. He was delivered over to death because of our transgressions, for the fact of our, of our sins. But he was raised, Christ Jesus was raised from the dead because of, or really for our justification, for our justification. And so while Christ's death was the payment for our sins, we learn from this verse that Christ's resurrection was the, was the proof, really, that God accepted Christ's payment of his life for our sins. And this is uh, something we understand, it's just from uh, illustrated all the time from when we buy things, when you and I buy something at the store or you, uh, you pay for a, something at, the, at a restaurant, whenever you buy, purchase something, you are given a slip of paper at the afterwards. Uh, you're given a, a receipt, a receipt that indicates that you paid for that which your money, your payment was accepted by uh, the, the seller. But if you don't have a receipt, you essentially have no proof that your payment was accepted, right? You, you have no proof. You might have, but it, it, you have no proof of it. In a, way, in, in, in a way, the resurrection of Christ then is the proof, is the receipt that Christ's death was accepted as payment for 
our sins. And Paul says, though, if Christ has not been raised, if Christ has not been raised, then God did not accept Christ's death for our redemption. If Christ, he did not give us a receipt, then he would, it would show that he did not accept Christ's death for our, our redemption. Uh, true that he did die, but he did not accept that death for us. And the terrible reality would be that the Corinthians, and in fact all Christians, would be still dead in our sins. We'd be still in our sins. If our sins are not paid for, then we're still in our sins. And when we die, and when we stand before God, a holy God, we will face judgment. We will face God's wrath, God's punishment. What use is it to have faith in, in Christ when he's not risen, because that faith, that such a faith, would be a worthless faith because we're, having faith does not set us free from our sins at all if Christ has not been raised. If Christ has not been raised. Fifthly, then, related, if Christ has not been raised, then the dead have perished. The dead have perished. This is verse 18. If Christ has not been raised, then he says, then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. Have perished. The word fallen asleep is a, it's a kind of a euphemism. It's a euphemism for basically those who have died. Um, it's a picture of basically our bodies going to sleep. And in a sense, it's, it's, it's like sleep because the Bible teaches that our bodies, though we die, our bodies die, it will, our bodies will be raised up. In fact, not just our bodies, but everyone's bodies will be raised up. Believers or unbelievers. Uh, and, the rest of the, and the Bible teaches that uh, be, you'll be raised up to eternal life or you'll be raised up to eternal judgment. And that's, 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 that is what's going to happen. And so this idea that the dead, those who have fallen asleep, are those who are dead. And this idea particularly says it's those who have fallen asleep in Christ. So this is those who have died as believe, having believed in Christ, as believers in Christ. One of the things we, um, we try to do when we know someone's dying in our, in our family, in our friends, and close loved ones, uh, was we want to make sure they believe in Christ, right? We, we, we visit them. We, we take the risk of being awkward. We take the risk of being um, uh, perhaps even, um, you know, kind of, almost forcing the issue for someone because we know that once they step into death there is no second chance it is an eternity of separation from God and so we we take that risk and we want people to to die in Christ we don't want them to die outside of Christ apart from Christ but and so we share with them, and we hope that they believe in Christ. And, when, and, and that is, and when, when they do pass on, it is w- one of the essential consolations or crucial consolations for us, knowing that our loved one has died and has entered into Christ's presence because they believed in him. But Paul's point here is that if Christ has not been raised, then even if the dead have believed in Christ, there is basically no hope of resurrection for them, no hope of eternal life for them, them because they too have not only have died, and because they're still in their sin, 
when they stood before God and they faced judgment, they perished. They, they were condemned to eternity in hell. And this, the, this word that they perished does not mean that they simply, you know, vanished or they became nothingness or they, uh, they were just so, you know, <clears throat> ceased to exist. But it, re, it means that they have been judged and they have been sentenced to eternal damnation apart from God in hell. The same word perished is used in John 3.16. And you, know, you already know what it means there in John 3.16, right? When John 3 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish. It's not just that you will not die. We all die. Shall not perish, shall not die, and then face into eternal death, eternal separation from God. That is perish. That's destruction, eternal destruction. But instead, we will have eternal life. And the reality of the and the, real, the, the ramification is that if Christ has not been raised, then everyone who has died in our lives, everyone who has died, that we've known, that we believed, that, that believed in Jesus Christ, my mother, my father, many of your relatives, our saints, some of our, some of our dear saints who have passed on in this church, they are all in hell if Christ has not been raised. They've all perished, and that is our destiny too. If Christ has not been raised, it's pretty hopeless. It's pretty sad. In fact, it's pitiful. And that's the last ramification of Christ has not been raised. If Christ has not been raised, Paul writes in verse 19, we are most to be pitied. We are most to be pitied. If, if we have, he writes, if we have hoped in Christ in this life only, this, and, and it's, it's a, if, if, Christ, if Christ alone is our hope, if Christ alone is our hope in this life, we, we're not hoping in anything else, then we are of all men most to be pitied. When we hope in Christ, Christ is our only hope, right? We're, we believe that we are saved by, by faith alone in Christ alone. We don't believe we don't have a hope in, in Christ and, you know, good works. We don't believe in, in Christ and, you know, and, and, uh, and righteous living. We don't believe in, in Christ and, and penitence, you know, beating ourselves. We don't believe in Christ and, and Buddha just to cover the bases. We don't believe in Christ and, and Muhammad and Allah you know, we, we, just to make sure we, we don't believe like many of the, uh, the, the polytheistic societies and just, just cover all the bases. It is Christ alone that is our hope as believers in Jesus Christ and no one else. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through him. If our hope is in Christ alone in this life, then we are, Paul says, and Christ has not been raised, we're, we're going to be most pitied of people. Instead of like all those others who, you know, just uh, lived lives uh, whichever way they wanted to, we lived our lives for a false hope. We took up our cross daily. We denied ourselves. We followed Jesus' commands. To no avail. The Christian life is a life of sacrifice and service to which many of us here have committed to as followers of Jesus. In fact, the Bible tells us that all who desire to live in God in Christ will be persecuted. And so for Christians here, Christians around the world who live for Christ, who follow after him, we face persecution, affliction, suffering for Christ. But if Christ has not been raised, then We've done it all for naught. 
You've suffered for nothing if Christ has not been raised. If we hope in Christ who is dead and not risen, then we have done so pointlessly. We are to be pitied, as Paul says, because we, we are hopelessly lost still in our sins, hopelessly living our lives for one who cannot deliver. He himself did not even deliver himself from death. It would be like, it would be so pitiful, it'd be just like how you and I might view a cult member. These, these cult members would come knocking on your doors, you know, every, every, uh, every Saturday, knocking on your doors and just telling you about the, you know, the being part of the kingdom or telling you about the, you know, the Book of Mormon or, you know, just telling you about these, these false truths. And we, when we hear that, we say, oh, man, that's, that's real sad. They're so, they're so faithful in what they do, but they're faithful in a lie. Paul says, you know, that's, that would be us if Christ has not been risen. We will be living for a lie, though as faithful as we may be living. The clu- we will be most pitied. The conclusion from this section is that if Christ has not been raised, then we are hopeless in the face of death. We die, we are judged, and we go into eternal punishment. That would be, our, that would be what would happen. We, we may, and <clears throat> the world, if we... We may choose to reject that idea of eternal punishment. Say, well, simply, well, just we die. Uh, and then we're judged, and then, uh, then we just disappear. We become nothing. But what hope is that? We die and become nothing? Is that, is that our best hope? That, oh, God is so merciful that when we die, we're just going to disappear. It's going to be nothing. But if we, we've, uh, we will get back there. I know Pastor Ray has been faithfully preaching through Ecclesiastes. Appreciate it. If the best you hope for is that we die in the nothingness, it is vanity of vanities, all is vanity. That is, even more, that is even a more pitiful and hopeless life. Solomon writes in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 16, these words, for as there, he writes the, you know, the destiny of the, of the fool as well as, the, as, as, well as the, the wealthy. He says, there is no lasting <clears throat> and a remembrance of the wise man as with the fool. And as, inasmuch as the coming days all will be forgotten, and how the wise men and the fool alike die. It is vanity to be foolish, to be wise, to be poor, to be rich, to be strong, to be weak in this life. Yes, you may have advantages in this life above another, but in the end, the destiny is the same. We all die. We all die, and then you just... What use is what you've gained? You're forgotten. You want to be remembered? What, what use is that to you that you're remembered? What use is that that your, your children have more stuff? It is ultimately quite meaningless because you, your children, and everyone who comes after will be eventually forgotten because we all die alike. You see, a world without a risen Savior is a hopeless world. It's a meaningless world. It's a meaningless existence. That we even have laws is, is just meaningless. That we even pursue uh, what is good for, for our, the next generation is, is meaningless. A world without a risen Savior is a hopeless world because death comes for us all. And death takes over us all, swallows us up, and we are forgotten. Our lives are meaningless. Our lives are vanity. 
if Christ has not been raised. But we know, brothers and sisters, do we not, that the scriptures teach us that Christ has been risen. Christ is alive. Christ rose on the, from the grave on the third day, according to the Gospels, according to the Scriptures. He was prophesied of this in Psalm 16, verse 10, that his body would not undergo decay. And he was risen, he was seen, and vis- visibly seen by over 500 plus people as evidence of that resurrection. Six, no less than six different occasions to those different individuals or groups. Historically speaking, the resurrection of Christ is one of the most well-attested events in all ancient history. And Christ has been risen because God's word tells us so. If Christ has not been raised, then we are hopeless in the face of death. We're hopeless. It, it, there is no hope for us. It's vanity. Life is vanity. But we know that the alternative is true, but rather the alternative is true. If Christ has been raised, we are victorious over death. Death does not make life meaningless, but death instead for the Christian means victory, not vanity. It opens up the door for us to enter into eternity in the bliss. It opens up the door to to what is real, true life, real life. (laughs) <laughs> we talk about, you know, virtual life and real life. Even this is not real life. This is not the life that God intended. Our life was, we are created in his image to live life eternally without sin. And every one of us is going to have our bodies raised up one day. It's not just our souls that go on living, but our bodies will be raised up. And we are victorious over death because Christ died and rose from the grave, as the scriptures attest. We don't have to be afraid of death, brothers and sisters, because Christ's resurrection is the proof that our sins have been paid. And we are most of all a people of hope in the face of death, dying, and disease. COVID and the fear of death that it has brought should be should be something that we thank God for in, a, in, a, in the greater scheme of things. Because when the believer faces death, we turn to truth. And the truth of God's word tells us that death is not something to be afraid of. For death is actually swallowed up in victory through Jesus Christ, our Lord. If you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, then that's your hope. That's our hope. And may we understand that this is how much, why Christ's death resurrects and resurrection is so essential for us. Let us not be, let us, and let us re- respond with this kind of hope so that the world, and not only for our own sake, but for the sake of others that we live among. The world needs hope. We're looking to many other things for our hope in the face of, of this pandemic. What we, the world needs is they need to put their hope in Christ as you and I have. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Jesus Christ who triumphed over the grave, who rose from, on the third day, who defeated death and sin. Lord, we thank you that death is swallowed up in victory because the sting of death 
has been paid for. The proof of which is in the resurrection of your son. Oh God, we thank you for your, your grace and mercy towards us in not only sending your son to die for, for us, but raising him from the dead for our justification. Lord, we praise you for the hope that we've received this morning from your truth and pray that this would be, that it would, that it would uh, strengthen us in our faith in the gospel, equip us, Lord, even more to, to go and tell others about this hope we have. And as we continue living in a world of a, with COVID and pandemic and, and who knows how, how many more variants, oh, Lord, uh, let, us not, let us be a people who do not live in fear of death, who live in, not live in, in the feelings of hopelessness, but live in triumph, in faith, in hope, because you sent your son to die and rise again for our sake. Thank you, Father, for the resurrection. Thank you for that. That is our hope in Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.